I'm going to say something I've never said in 28 years of ministry. I am so ecstatic to see a half full room. Uh, this is the best thing ever, right? <laughs> Isn't it great? Man, hey, listen, you know, I was thinking, I went to bed last night and Michelle was like, you see what's going on in Nashville? And, you know, and, and as we're singing that, it made me think a couple of things. One, you know, hey, listen, what a word from Pastor Alexis. Like, this world is broke. It's, it's supposed to be broke. You think Jesus didn't know that when he came out of the grave? You think Jesus didn't know that when the Holy Spirit came on us? It's supposed to be broke. But guess what? Who are we? The light of the world, right? Darkness doesn't self-correct, does it? Darkness does not self-correct. What has to happen? You have to inject light into it, right? And that's you guys. That's us. So today, we're coming here because we know that you, no matter what you can do, you can't stop the church. You can't stop it. No matter, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine. I got to be real careful what I say uh, right now because it's, it, it, you know, who knows, it's big internet out there. And, and one, that's one good part about our church attendance. Our church attendance has quadrupled during COVID because we know there's millions that are watching this uh, thing every week. And so we're going to count those numbers. And uh, Send more delegates to the SBC each year. Um, but but the, the reality is, um, a friend of mine was telling me about this country that he had gone to, and, and it's, it's an incredibly uh, fascist country, communist country. It's got all kinds of stuff going on. And what they don't realize is that people are in the underground church, and they're, they're leaving that country, and they're going and getting trained on how to be pastors and how to be church planners, and they're going back sneaking back into the country that they came from. Why? Because you can't stop the church. You can't stop the church, right? We are the light in the darkness. Aren't you glad? Hey, man, it's a good day. It's a pretty day outside, but it's even better in here, right? It's awesome. Well, listen, uh, I want to ask you to do something just uh, before we get moving in this thing today. Tonight, uh, we, are, we are coming here, 5 o'clock, between 5 and 7. You kind of come when you want, but I want, I'm serious you know, uh, it's not like you can got a lot better to do. It's, you know, it's not like we can go all kinds of places. A lot of things are still in the in-between phases and life's getting back to normal. Even the introverts are realizing how much they need people. And, and so all of you introverts are starting to realize, oh, wow, it's actually people like Jason aren't too bad, uh, you know, that make you nervous. And so it's a, it's a, we're going to come together, introverts and extroverts alike, and we're going to ask God to do something. Let me tell you something. I believe it with all my heart, that the power of God is alive at Clearview. You know, for a number of years there, we, we went left and right and middle and down and up and a little sideways. And it takes a, takes a while to, you ever, you ever turned, this is my, my staff knows exactly what I say when I say, when I say constant pressure. They, don't, they know what I'm thinking. My favorite leadership axiom in the world is how do you turn a battleship in an ocean? It takes a nautical mile. It takes a nautical mile to turn an aircraft carrier. How do you do that? Constant pressure on a small rudder. Constant pressure on a small rudder to just keep pushing it one way. And, you know, we're, 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 we're regaining traction at Clearview. But let me tell you why that's happening. Because we're asking for it. Did you hear me? We're asking for it. It's amazing what happens to a church when you ask the Holy Spirit to do stuff, right? But you got to believe that he actually will do it. 
So tonight we're coming on this campus and we're going to pray down some strongholds that are going to be listed. We're going to pray down some, some things that, that need to go away. We're going to pray up some things that need to happen. We're going to pray for student ministry. We're going to pray for Give Us Franklin, which is a, 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 something that you're going to hear more about in the next few weeks. It's a vision that the Lord has put on my heart for the last six months. We've been working on it in different ways. And it's a big night. I'm telling you, it's a big night and I really do hope you can be here for it. So today we're going to start a, a series that I'm calling Backstage, and it's about churches, you know. And I kind of thought in, the, in the, the Nashville narrative, you know, everybody wants the backstage pass. Everybody wants the, the VIP access. And, and the interesting thing about churches is that churches, well, we have a backstage too. In fact, I often tell people uh, when you see the the kitchen to your favorite restaurant, sometimes you don't want to eat there anymore, right? And I'm going to tell you, churches have kitchens, uh, literal and metaphorical. And we're going to look at an all-access over the next few weeks of this thing. And I thought, why, why, are we, why are we going to talk about this? Because if there's one thing COVID has taught us, right? If there's one thing the COVID season has taught us, it's how much we miss this place, how much we miss each other, right? It's taught us that. And, and it's true that we, we, we don't have to come here every Sunday. We don't, we don't have to uh, be involved in every little thing the church does. That's not the point. The, the, the point is, though, if there's one thing I've heard from day one, it's I miss my church. I miss people. I miss the people of God. And you should. You should miss that. So we're going to talk about that over the next seven weeks as we look at a series of churches. And today we're going to talk about something a little bit interesting uh, in terms of a, a specific church. And I want to start out by thinking, uh, talking to you a little bit about a thought. And I guarantee you you've had this thought because I've had this thought. Have you ever come to a place, like let's maybe a job for all of you that have been in a career for a while. Have you ever come to a place where you start asking yourself, why am I doing this? Like why? I used to love it. You know, now we are on the internet, so don't raise your hand because your boss might see it and then, you know. But you ever come to this place in your life where you're like, I used to love it, but now I, I don't even know why I do it. Or I got a degree in this and I tried it for a while and I hated it. Or, or maybe, maybe you ever had this thought, you're dating somebody and you thought, you know, she used to be pretty, and now she's not. Some of you are going, well, that's brutal. You think she didn't think the same thing about me, you know? Run into an old girlfriend, and you both realize, wow, aging happens, right? You know? You, you start, maybe you're in a, a dating relationship in college, and you're, and you're going, this used to be great, and now all we do is argue. Why? Why? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? You know, we all had those thoughts of, I, I used to love something, and, and then all of a sudden it became work, and it wasn't fun. Listen, we've all had that happen to us. I remember one of my, one of my favorite, um, I, you guys, 
probably know. If you don't, I'll tell you. I, I love music. Like, man, I, I mean, my dad, my dad saw everybody in the 60s and 70s. He saw Grand Funk, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin. I mean, you just rattle. He saw them all. Stones, he saw them all. So growing up as a kid, that's why I heard that on the radio. And then my mom was a Motown-like freak. So I, I knew about the Funk Brothers, and I knew about the Temptations, and I knew about Smokey Robinson, and I knew Martha and the Vandellas and all that. I mean, my, my iTunes playlist is as hyper and as schizophrenic as I am. I mean, it is all over my Spotify. Play, you can't play a song I don't like. I mean, it's all over the map. And in VH1 several years ago, I don't know if you remember, this was a long time ago, they came out with this thing called Behind the Music. And let me tell you, not, not only do I love music and music history, I love documentaries. I'll watch a documentary about you, and I may not even like you. But I'll watch a documentary about you. I just love stories, man. I love people's stories. I am fascinated by how things got. And so behind the music was like made for, I watched every one of them, even if I hated the band. Because I, I wanted to hear about their story. And then about, about probably 20 or 30 episodes into that thing, it dawned on me one day, this is the same show. It's just over, it's the same plot. And here's the, I don't want to ruin it for you because they were really good. You can probably still find them on YouTube. They're pretty old, but, but, but here, here's kind of the plot. For every band, Metallica all the way to, you know, uh, whoever, you know, uh, Flock of Seagulls. I mean, just, you know, all over the place, right? So here's, here's the basic plot line. We were a nobody band. We were playing for tips. Then we finally wrote a song that was halfway decent. Some guy found his way into a bar. He heard the song. He said, I want to put you on a record deal. And they did. Gave us a little bit of money, like five grand. We, uh, we didn't know what to do with that. We had never seen that kind of money. And then all of a sudden, we had a record deal. Then we got on the road, had another hit song. And then all of a sudden, we, we had about a three or four year run. And we all got on cocaine. And then we lost it. And and, and, but now, that was 30 years ago, now we're 50, we're fat, we're back playing, we're happy, we're sober, and we're, we're actually loving, realizing why we did this. Like, we actually found our way back to the music. I mean, it was, it's, it was, it's, there's a tragedy in all that, because they, one of the things I noticed that all of them were saying was they, they hit all, all they ever wanted was to play in front of an arena, and then when they finally got to, they hated each other, they weren't, they, you know, I found out the drummer in the police, you know, Sting in the police, he would set his hi-hat in a certain place that he didn't have to look at Sting, he would put his drum kit in a position where he could play because he didn't want to see him. That's how mad that he, they, they just hated each other. I mean, that's, that kind of stuff's pretty interesting to me, right? And, and these guys found their way. They found their way back to their first love. There was a church, you know, there was a church in the Bible that had to find their way back to their first love. But here's the interesting thing about this particular church. At least the people in the bands on Behind the Music, at least the people in the bands, at least they knew it. At least they knew, hey, we lost our passion for the music, and now we're just playing like state fairs, but it's awesome, and we're having fun. But this church, the worst part, they didn't even know it. They didn't even realize they had lost their love. So I want you to imagine with me for a second. Well, yeah, I'm not playing mind games with you for a minute, but I just want you to imagine. I, I want you to imagine that you, you went to this church, maybe not this one, but just imagine you, you're kind of looking for a church and 
and you go to a church and you don't know what to expect. And you stroll up in there and, and man, the, I mean, the greeters are like epic. Like they're high-fiving you, giving you like free bagels on the way. You know, they're, they're walking you right into the place. They talk to you for a few minutes. They actually remember your name. Then people come in before the worship starts, and they talk to you. They're genuinely, hey, where are you from? Like, what, what are you doing here? And, and, and you're like, wow, this is pretty, people are pretty friendly. And, and then the worship starts, and, you know, it was great. I mean, it, it wasn't like all of your favorite songs, but, I mean, it was solid, and it was good. And then the guy steps up like me, and, and, he, and he preaches. It's not the best sermon in the world, but, I mean, hey, this is pretty good. This is pretty amazing. And, and, and the whole thing, and then on the way out, you, you see a friend. And, oh, I didn't know you'd go here. And, and, and then all of a sudden, you realize, man, I've got some pretty good connections here. Your kids loved it. If you have kids, they just couldn't stop talking about it. And then and you're like, you know, I'm going to go. Just imagine. Just imagine for a minute. Play along. And so you go, and you want to meet with one of the pastors. One of the pastors is able to meet with you, and you say, hey, listen, I mean, I had a pretty amazing experience here. And I, I, I really, tell me, tell me more about you guys. And the pastor says to you, well, I'm glad you had a, a great experience. That's pretty neat to hear. We hear that a lot. And this might be a stretch for your imagination, but I want you to imagine. But then imagine the, the pastor's countenance changes, and he says, Jesus sent us a letter he, through a messenger. He sent us a letter and he told us that he's going to close us down. Like, what, what, are you playing around with me? I mean, this was like one of the best experiences I've had. Yeah, I know. We're trying to figure it out. We don't really know what's going on. But we got a letter from the Lord. And he's going to shut it down. And the question becomes at that point, what? Why? Why? Why would Jesus close down a church? That's a pretty radical thing to do, wouldn't you say? I mean, for, I mean, Jesus is pretty big on church. And for him to shut it down, well, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. So I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 2. The, over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at seven different churches in this backstage idea. We're going to go backstage into churches and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, like if you got a weak stomach, don't come into the kitchen. Because we're, you know, I think this is a great time to talk about church. We've missed church, amen? We've missed church. And I, want, and I also want to tell you guys something just about me. That over the last few months, the Lord, the Lord has been really dealing with me about kingdom life. And what, what, what God tends to deal with me on, right or wrong, good or bad, finds its way to the pulpit. All right? It just does. And, and so, you know, I'm going to be transparent with you guys. I always work hard to be transparent. Sometimes even when it costs me, that's okay. I would rather do that than not. But there's seven churches in the book of Revelation, and each of them have some good things and, and some things going on that, that they have to take a look at. 
So Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus, this is what Jesus said through the messenger. To the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Let me kind of give you, a, that's kind of a strange statement if you've never read it. It means the one who's in control. That makes it easy. The one who's in control. He's all controlling. Sovereign God. Verse 2. I know your deeds. Now he's talking to a church. Put your mind in that. He's talking to a body of people. I know your deeds. And I know your toil, your, your work, that your toil, man, that, that your struggle. I know your struggle. And I know your perseverance. And I know that you cannot tolerate evil men. And that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. And they are not. And you found them to be false. I mean, he's given them some pretty hefty encouragement, some pretty good, pretty good bragging rights that he's giving to this church. And in verse 3, he says, and you have perseverance. You've endured for my name's sake. Man, what a thing to say about a church. They have, they've persevered, and they've not grown weary. Man, what a thing to be said about your church. But then it gets quiet because verse 4 comes. And he says, but I have this against you. This is Jesus talking to a church. You've left your first love. He doesn't describe anything else. It's a sobering statement. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. And do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove the lampstand out of its place. That's the shutdown statement. I will take away the light. Unless you repent. Can you imagine God saying that to your church? Yet this you do have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So there's another element of encouragement. Then verse 7. He, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of, of God. So... What can we learn from the church at Ephesus? What we can learn is that, that we can be profitable in ministry and bankrupt before God. That's what we can learn. In a nutshell, we can learn that we can be profitable in ministry, but we can be bankrupt before God. Because when you look at these people, what you see is in verse 2 that ministry mattered. Ministry mattered. In fact, sound teaching mattered. Look in verse 2. He says, I know your deeds, and I know your toil, and I know your, in other words, I know your work. Ministry mattered to these people. He said, you've not grown weary. I mean, I would, this is a total speculation, and I understand that, but I mean, I would suspect that when you came to Ephesus, the budget was good. It was solid. Ministry areas were were pushing right along. There's maybe even some growth. They were well run. Excellence was a word among the church. We do all things with excellence. Everything looked good. Everything was tight. Ministry mattered, and and people wanted good ministry at their church, and they wanted ministry to the community, and, and sound teaching mattered. Notice what he says right there. He, in in verse, the end of verse 2, he said, you've tested those who are apostles. You know, you don't test something without knowing how to do it, right? You don't test something by abstract. You've got to know what you're looking for if you test something. So they knew they could spot heresy a mile away. They could spot it, man. 
They, could, they, they, had, they had sound teaching, so they, they, they thought. But then there's this, there's this whole warning. There's this warning that, that Jesus gives them. He says, hey, I'm going to turn the lights off. Boy, that's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. Because, but, but what's the warning about? It's, it's about verse, verse 4. You've left your, your first love. Your first love. And you know what that made me think of? My my thoughts immediately went to the great commandment. It went to the great commandment. What did Jesus say in the great commandment? I put it on the screen for you. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus even said that all the law and the prophets hang on those two verses. Right? Everything's encapsulated by that. And I want to tell you something, friends. When you look at this warning that we get, why would Jesus shut down a church? I'll tell you why he would shut down a church. Because if you're not doing that, if you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul, with all your strength, and if you're not loving your neighbor as you would love yourself, well, then you're you're misrepresenting his heart. And he won't let a church continue that misrepresents his heart. See, we can have all the right doctrine in the world. We can have all, there's, there's, doctrine is great. Doctrine is great, but doctrine isn't enough. Great ministry is great, but great ministry isn't enough. Because if we lose our passion for God, and if we don't love him and keep him first, and then... The last part of that verse, if we don't love other people, even as Philippians says, to put others' needs before your own, Williamson County, think about that. That's every county. That's not just Williamson County. That's America. When is the last time that we made an intentional effort to go to the back of the line. When's the last time we made an intentional effort to put anybody in front of us for any reason at all? It doesn't make us bad people. It makes us people to get sucked up into the flow of this world. It's what it does to us. So the question I kept asking myself is, why, why would you leave your first love, right? I mean, why would you leave your first love? It's a, it's a, it's a big question. Why would you do that? And the only thing I can think of, and you can make it as theological. By the way, if you've been going to Clearview for any significant amount of time, you're probably catching on by now that... I, I am self-described as a, a, my theology is about survival. My, my theology, the way I work out, the way I'm here to help you is to help you put into practice the theology that we have. My, 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 my goal as a pastor is not to make you Bible smart. You don't need a pastor to do that. But listen, you can do that on your own. You can become Bible smart by yourself. I mean, I want to help you grow in the scriptures. Don't get me wrong. I do. My goal is to help you Monday through Saturday stay between the ditches. Right? Practical. Because to me, if you cannot take the teachings of the scripture and make it practical to 2020, you really, it doesn't matter how much theology you know. So, 
in a, non, in a non-churchy way, the way I'm going to answer, why would you leave your first love? The only thing I can come, and I pondered this a lot, by the way, on the beach, for what that's worth. I think it's about misguided cravings. You only leave your first love when something else looks better. See, there's this mythical idea. Man, I told you I was going to be transparent with you. I don't have anybody in mind as I'm about to say this. There's no faces, you know. I'm just telling you. A pastor and I were talking about a month or so ago. He's been pastoring in this, in this county for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And we got to talking about the revolving door of church. And, and he said, I've just never seen anything like it. Like people just cycle through churches constantly. And I said, I know, I've lived here almost 20 years. It's really weird. See, there's this mythical idea that the perfect church is out there. That's a lie from hell. Down there, it's a lie from down there. Because let me tell you what you're going to discover. You can leave Clearview for better preaching. It is out there, regardless of what my mother says. <laughs> it is out there. There is better preaching. You can leave for better worship. It's out there. You can leave for better student ministry. It's out there. You can leave for better room in the end ministry. It's out there. You can find all kinds of stuff, but here's what you're going to find. The same jacked up, messed up weirdos are at every church you're going to go to. And the moment you go backstage, that's when you're going to see it. The moment you serve on a committee, all the gloves come off. The moment that you step in to lead a Bible study for the 11th grade boys or the 12th grade girls or work with Jenny, you know, and Tracy with all the snotty-nosed kids and the diet. The moment you, the moment you, listen, if you want to go to the perfect church, you can find them, but here's what you got to do. You got to sit on the back row, don't talk to anybody, leave before it's over, and just don't listen to anything. Just like tune in for the worship. In fact, don't even do that. Stay at home. Go to the live streams, never show up. That's the only way. Because that way you can watch Charles Stanley and Rick Warren and Furtick, and you can do like a whole morning of your favorite pastors, flip on Spotify, and then get all your favorite. That's the only way it's going to work, people. There's this mythical idea. There's this mythical idea. But let me tell you what the word means in verse 4. When he says you left your first love, do you know what the root of that word comes from? Abandonment. You walked away. You just abandoned it. 
What would make you do that? Misguided cravings. Because here's what I think we have to understand is that programming doesn't mean progress. You hear me? Awesome programming doesn't mean progress. It is entirely possible, based on Ephesians 2, to be profitable in ministry and bankrupt before God. It's entirely possible. They did it. They did it. They had misguided cravings. Discipleship wasn't doctrine. You can have doctrine all day long and be dry as a cob. You can know all the Pharisees did it. They knew all the right stuff to say, but they were missing a very important thing. They were like the tin man in Wizard of Oz. They were well-oiled, and they had no heart. You see, you can have all the right doctrine and all the right teaching, but it doesn't mean that God's going to put his anointing on your church. So misguided cravings. Boy, you know, in a moment of just real transparency, I'll tell you, and I'm not going to, there's a lot of names I'm probably going to leave out. I know I will, but you know, one of the things I love, there's a lot I love about this church. Like you guys are going to have to treat me really bad to make me leave because I really love it here and so does my family. And I've gotten to see you hurt and cry and be mad and sometimes mad at me, and it won't be the last time. I've got to see life work here, and I really love this place. And the further I go into Clearview, you know one of the things I really love? I love it when I run up against people like the Kellys. They're sitting back there today, or the Denny's, or the Hicks run up against people like the Allens that have been here. And I'm leaving out all kinds of people. There's been many of y'all that have gone. When I, when, I, when I hear about these people that have, that have been going here, there's, there's scores of people that they've just weathered every storm. They just weathered every storm. And they just keep showing up. And I'm going to tell you, man, that takes grit. It takes grit. You got to want to do that. But, I, you know, I was just telling a young guy that yesterday, he's been dating some girls and he's in his 20s. And, and I said, man, let me tell you something, what I've learned after 23 years of marriage. Intimacy doesn't come. It doesn't come through sex. Intimacy comes through mileage. When you know each other's story. When you've had the failures and the heartaches and you got sick and you had to go to the hospital. And you had a kid go off the rails 15 years ago. And you walked with each other through somebody's dad dying. Intimacy comes through mileage. So for us to be intimate with God and not be bankrupt before him. Jesus gives us a, a path. In it. And I, but I do want to ask you a question before we get to this path. Because this mythical idea that the perfect church exists, I think if you leave your first love, you have misguided cravings. Misguided cravings. You saw some twinkle. You saw some glitter. And you chased it for a minute. And it didn't pan out. 
And so I want to ask you a question, and I don't want you to answer it. I kind of want you to think about it for a few days. And, I, and here's the question that I put together, and it's an important question. It was an important question for me, and it's simply this. Have you been expecting Clearview to do for you what only God can do? Have you been expecting Clearview to do for you what only God can do? Because you see, only God can make you enjoy worship. That's not Alexis' job. Would you want it to be? Would you really want it to be up to Alexis and Zach to make sure that you had a good experience? I wouldn't want to leave it to any human for that. Would you really want to be up to me to, to be the prime source of your spiritual nourishment? Oh, wow. No, I mean, seriously. I know me. No. Would you really want to leave it up to Graham and our interns to, to be for your kids what only God can be? Would you really want to leave it up to Tracy and Shane and Jenny and Brian, John Gardner, John Gardner? Would you really want to leave it up to them to be for you what only God can be? I wouldn't. Listen, don't do that. That is a recipe for disaster spiritually. You see, Martin Luther nailed a 95 Theses on a door one day because he said, I don't need to go through a priest to get to my God. And so when you take the pressure off of Clearview to meet all your ends, guess what happens? The happy comes back. The happy comes back. Because you realize, for real, Jason has issues. They're apparent. I can meet with you after and tell you some. They're valid. I'm, I'm not being funny. Like, you laughed. I'm, I'm just being 100%. They are there. I have massive insecurities that are very well hidden. And so does every church. Backstage. So Jesus gives us a path back. Look at what he says. I love it. And we're going to be out of here with this statement. Look at what he says. Oh, man, verse 5 is thick. He says, remember from where you've fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. Oh, man, look at what he says. Remember, what a statement. Do you realize, church family, do you realize how many times in the Old and New Testament, the prophets all the way to the last prophet, John, do you realize how many times they said, remember? Go into the Psalms. Remember is everywhere. Remember, 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 remember. Why? We forget. We forget. We forget. We forget all the time what God did. We forget all the time what God can do. We forget. And so if you want to remember, you know what you got to do to remember? You got to stop the stupidness and the madness and the pace and the frenzy and the text messages and all the commutes. And you got you to shut life down for a few minutes. And you got to go back. You got to go back in your mind. went back this morning in my mind 
It's a good tears. That little church, when I first repented and asked Jesus to save me, I could see the green carpet. It was ugly. And I could see that upright piano in the left. It's all we had. I remember business meetings that were atrocious. At the age of 18, even I knew this was stupid. But I loved it because they loved me. And I remembered what it was like to have this holy God that said, I know all about you. Come on in. Come on in. Remember. Repent. And then I love what he says in verse 5. Do what you used to do. What did Henry Blackaby teach us in the late early, early 1990s? He literally said in Experiencing God, if you left God, go back to the place where you remember he left him. What, was, what were you doing back there? What were you doing? You see, when we go back and do the deeds that we did at first, we love the Lord our God and we love people more than we love ourselves. And we don't ask Clearview to be for us what only God can be. So, we, we got a lot to learn from a church at Ephesus about misguided cravings.